Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. Right now, you're about to listen to a message from our current series. Thanks for tuning in today. Mark the fourth chapter. Open your Bibles to Mark the fourth chapter, if you would, please. We began a series three weeks ago, on, or two weeks ago, this is the third teaching, on something called the, uh, the uh, hundredfold principle. It's something that uh, is in the Bible. We've been teaching on it in, in regards to um, uh, finding, uh, finding it uh, in the Bible. It's actually found two places. The word hundredfold is only mentioned two places in the Old Testament. And one had to do with Isaac uh, sowing in famine, and he reaped a hundredfold in a time of famine. Isn't that good news? I said, isn't that good news? In a time of great um, economic crisis in the nation, he, he obeyed God and he sowed in famine and reaped a hundredfold. In the New Testament, of course, it's in the parable of the sower, which we'll get to in a moment. Genesis 8 says this, God, rec- um, God said, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. That was a covenant promise to humanity after the flood. He said, seed time and harvest shall not cease. And then God had, had us in mind when he set the measure of return. He said, some 30, some 60, and 100-fold. How many agree that 30-fold is better than no-fold? Amen. Amen. And then there's 60, and then actually there's 100 times, uh, 100 times uh, promised of reaping into your life, praise the Lord, if the conditions are right. And they have to be right. And, of course, we'll be learning from the Bible what that actually means. Now, in Mark 4, verse 26... Jesus said, God's kingdom is like seed thrown on a field by a man. So now we know that the kingdom of God operates on the seed principle. God operates himself on something called the seed principle, which we'll see. Uh, Who then goes to bed and he forgets about it. Okay, And the seed sprouts and grows. He, the man who scatters that seed, has no idea how it happens. The earth does it all without his help. First a green stem of grass, then a bud, then the ripened grain. When the grain is fully formed, he reaps, he reaps, and the Bible says, harvest time. Amen. That's exactly how salvation happened in your life. It was a, product, a, a, it was a process called seed time and harvest. Um, John 12, Jesus said this, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. I always say that. And, and I, I'm, I always point to this, but, and it's really true, for someone to live, well, someone has to die. For you to have a marriage that lives, someone has to give up, surrender, and allow the process of death, the death of his pride, the death of his rebellion, the death of his stubbornness, the death of his self-willed. Everybody say amen to that. For someone to live, someone has to die. I'm glad that Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. Redemption, oh yeah, for God to reap eternal life, for fallen humanity, first of all, he had, to, he had to provide the right seed, and then he had to sow the right seed, which was himself. And salvation, is, or redemption, is known as the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he, that's the Christ, the anointed one, poured God's goodness into us. And God accomplished this through three spiritual laws. The law of seed time, the law of harvest, and the law of Genesis. The law of Genesis is this, that everything produces after its own kind. So actually, if you sow corn, what will you get? There'll be no confusion. If you sow wheat, what are you going to get? Amen. If you sow love, what are you going to get? 
Amen. There's no confusion. God made it very easy for us to understand the law of Genesis works every time. Whatever you sow, the Bible says you're going to reap. Now, Isaiah 55, I wanted to read this. I haven't yet, and so I wanted to add this this morning. God speaking, he says, Just as rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back until they water the earth, doing their work of making things grow and blossom. So there's a purpose for the rain and the snow. Amen. And producing seed for farmers and food for the hungry. So God goes on and says, So will the words that, I, that come out of my mouth not come back empty-handed. My words will do the work I sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment I gave them. Is that powerful or what? And so the parable of the sower, there are many parables in the Bible, but this parable of the sower is the most important parable. And why? Because your past, your present, and your future are discovered there. Now listen to this. The quality of life you desire and the quality of life you actually attain to is all based on this parable. The quality of life, how many, how many want a good quality of life? You want your life to be blessed. Amen. It's all found in the parable of the sower. Mark 4, oh, um, Mark 4 tells us what kind of seed the sower was sowing. Verse 14 says, the sower soweth the word, meaning the sower, this is the word of God. This, you know, a lot of you got your laptops and your, and your phones, but this here is seed. This, this is seed for your life. Uh, in fact, most people don't know this. Now, you know it because we teach it. Your life is in this book. Everything about your life, all the challenges, all the difficulties, every, all the things that you experience in life from the bad to the good are all in this book. God wrote a story for you so that you could find him, walk with him, and have a blessed life in the present and a blessed future. And everyone say amen to that. So, listen to this. Until we become... Wise and responsible farmers in God's kingdom, it is possible. I've watched it. I've observed. Remember, I've been doing this now for 47 years. 47 years. Until we become wise and responsible farmers in, in God's kingdom, it's possible to spend our entire Christian lives sowing the wrong kinds of seed and reaping harvests God never intended us to reap. And that's what we have to learn how important this is in our lives. We have learned to be disciplined. You know, there's a reason Paul told Timothy, you be, um, he says, uh, uh, you be a good soldier. You endure hardness as a good soldier. You endure it. You endure it because if you endure it, you'll come out the other side winning. You'll come out the other side victorious. Amen? Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Say, God is for me. Say it like you mean it. Amen. He is for us. Hallelujah. Now, God sent his word into the inward soil of the human spirit so that we sinners could become as he is and also reap the fullness of life that he has. John 10 says the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. And I came, Jesus said, that they may have and enjoy life, have and enjoy life, and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. hallelujah. Now listen, let's just be real. Let's just be real. Now, when, when Jesus made that promise, he had 12 disciples. One of the disciples be, uh, betrayed him, and the, the other 11 denied him. And he gave, he gave this promise that you're going to receive abundant life. But always keep the eternal. Always keep focused on the eternal. Because, that's, because if you don't, you'll get discouraged and disappointed in some of the things that you go through in your life. I always tell people, it's true, 
Life is not fair, but God is faithful. Life's not fair, but God is faithful. He really is. So you'll go through things in your life that you didn't plan to go through. You'll go, you'll, you have things in your life that happen in your life you didn't have nothing to do with. It just happened. But what do you do during those times? You got to go back to the Bible, see what God says about you, and hold on to that with your faith. Can I have an amen? And God's word, he will honor his word, and you will reap a harvest of blessing. Now, in the parable of the sower, the seed was scattered on four different environments, uh, and, 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 um, which was hard ground, stony ground, thorny or weed-infested ground, and in good ground. Last week, we covered the hard ground. You can go ahead and listen to it online. And we discovered that Satan has no problem stripping God's word from the hearts of those who fail to prepare themselves. That's why we have praise and worship. We really do. We don't, we don't have that so that, uh, and that we bore you for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And uh, we have it for one reason. It's for you to prepare yourself to receive God's word. Amen. Amen. Because the word is life-changing for you. It's the stability of your life. It's the strength of your life. Hallelujah. It's the bread from heaven. Can I have an amen? amen. So you have to prepare yourself. And the hard heart fails to do that. The side reference of my Bible refers the hard-hearted hearers as indifferent. The word indifferent literally means uninterested, apathetic, uncaring, and lukewarm. And that's why every person, the young and the old here today, you have to be so careful how you approach the Word of God. Are you really, are you, are you so desperate? This happened to me a few times in my life where God knew I was desperate. God knew that I meant business with Him. When, it was in, when I quit smoking... Uh, uh, the very night that I got saved, God convicted me of that. Uh, I, nobody told me anything. I didn't, know, I, didn't even know what, I didn't even know what that meant to be saved. All I knew is the night I accepted Christ in my life, I came out. Uh, I'll never forget, I came out of the church doors. I walked down the sidewalk to my Camaro, and Vicki, my precious girlfriend, was sitting in the car. She had already took up a cigarette, because you can only last a little while. you got to have one. Anybody smoking here? I did, did anybody smoke it sometime in their life? So you understand the, the addiction. And so I opened the door of the Camaro. I hopped in. It was a really cool, sweet car. 68 Camaro, bucket seats. Man, that thing was sweet. And, um, and she handed me a cigarette, and I said, no, thank you. I mean, immediately, God began to instruct there are things that you have to get right in your life. You know, you know are people going to go to hell that smoke? No, it isn't, but it's just hard on you. It's just physically hard on you. Any addiction is hard on you. Can I have an amen? And um, I don't look down at people that do. It just, it's hard on you. It's better. I'm 68 years old. Uh, through two, two and a half weeks ago, I was running up the steps at Matt and Amy's house to watch the Iowa game, and I slammed my foot into the cement steps. You know, I didn't lift my foot high enough. Whew, I didn't swear, but three words came to my mind. No, I don't just. And it hurt. All three of those toes turned black and blue. And to this day, I'm, I'm, my big toes, I've been dealing with it, uh, to, uh, believe for healing my big toe, because I think I maybe broke it. But, but anyway, um, so I haven't been able to run on the treadmill like I want to. But you know, at 68 years old, when you, when you run four to five miles every day on a treadmill, that's not bad. It's not bad for an old coot. Can I have an amen? <laughs> but I couldn't do that if I'd been puffing on a pack of cigarettes every other day. I just couldn't do it, because my body would not condition for that. So God wants you to be free. Say, God wants me free. 
Amen, he really does. Praise the Lord. Now, today we want to cover a little bit about something called the stony ground, which the Lord talked about. Stony ground is that soil that contains foreign obstacles that hinder the germination process from reaching its full potential. God wants, the word of, God wants his word to go deep into your heart so it changes your life. So that, so that any time the pressure is on, the word of God comes out. Faith comes out. Love comes out. Uh, patience comes out. Can I have an Amen. And that can only come out if it's being scattered on the good soil of your heart. Mark 4, verse 16, let's read this. These are they likewise which are uh, sown on stony ground. Uh, when they have heard the word, they immediately receive it with gladness, amen, and, ha- and have no root in themselves, okay? So they endure but for a time. But after, after a time, when affliction, that word means pressure or trouble, and or persecution, that simply means hardship, arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And offense is Satan's most effective tool in causing believers to stumble in their spiritual race. My side reference to the Bible says they're called emotional hearers. And there's nothing wrong with the emotion. I love it. I love it when people get emotional during praise. I love it when they get emotional during worship. I love it when you get emotional when the word is preached. And somebody says... Amen. I like that once in a while. Praise the Lord. But if all you are is emotional, by the time you leave these doors, amen, your emotion has changed from the church doors to the car doors. Your emotion can change. That's why you can't just live your life on emotion. You have to be deeper rooted in your walk with the Lord. The um, Amplified says, they have no real root in themselves, And so they endure for a little while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, I just want to let you know when attack comes, the devil's after the word of God in your life. He does not want you to become godlike. He wants you to be as ugly, saved as you were when you were lost. Amen. I mean, he wants that. So he comes to steal the word. On account of the word, attacks come. And what happens? Those that have no real root are offended. The Amplified says they become displeased, indignant, resentful, and they stumble away. They fall away. My father, I've shared this before, but my father, when I was a boy, I loved, I loved this time. My daddy uh, had a beautiful farm on mid, uh, 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 up by north of Marshall, in, uh, north of Marshall, in a, uh, outside of a town called Montevideo. And he farmed 360 acres. Of course, I was raised there. And... Um, and uh, he had rich black soil. We always raised good crops. However, there's something that, there was a something that we had to do annually that I really didn't care for. It, it, I mean, I, I didn't care for, but I cared for one thing, and I'll tell you what it was. It was picking rocks. And uh, the reason I liked it is because I got to drive the little Ford tractor. And uh, Raleigh knows that it is because it's had one. Little gray Ford tractor. And it was just, I mean, just, uh, just small enough for me to drive. And then we had a great big metal tank on the back end, a open, like an open box, metal. And then we'd throw rocks in there. And every year, uh, I, this happened every year, listen to this, like a mystery, every year rocks would shift up their way to the surface, meaning what wasn't there the previous growing season suddenly appeared. So to get the maximum yield uh, 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 that Dad wanted to get, we had to, we had to remove those rocks. And I thought, isn't that exactly the way it is about life? I mean... I mean, you know, things are going along. All of a sudden, something that, you know, last year comes creeping into your heart and begins to service in your life this year. And, and all of a sudden, you got to 
dig that thing up. Because if you don't dig it up, it's going to hinder the harvest that God wants you to have. It's true. I mean, it really is true. And um, we'd, we'd load rock, and once in a while we get a rock. Once in a while we get a rock. I mean, just the tip of it sitting out like this. It's the tip of the rock. and The, the plow lay. I mean, you know what a plow is. Raleigh and I do. The rest of you, I mean, you know. The, the plow would, uh, they don't, they chisel plow today, but back then we had plows that had, um, huh? Yeah, yeah, a lay, what? Is it? Yeah, okay. Anyway, they had a lay, a plow lay, and it, it would hit a rock and it would, we'd have, the, the new plows would trip, you know, so they wouldn't bend them, but we had the plows that didn't have that, so man, it would just, it would just wreck the plow lay, so we'd have to pull over and take the plow lay off and put a new one out, and it was just, so, once in a while you get a rock that, I mean, Hey, no problem, I'll get a spade and dig that thing up. It would be this huge. We didn't realize that that little tip of that rock was just the tip. And that's isn't that sometimes the things in our life. If we let the, I mean, if we are not careful, we don't keep things dug up in our life, keep things out, you know, that, that, become, a, that become a hindrance to our spiritual growth, all of a sudden they, they get bigger and bigger. And I thought about that. How come those rocks kept coming up? I mean, they were buried underneath. They just keep shifting up. And all of a sudden, they come, you dig them out. Next year, here comes some more. Another, boy, if that isn't the, the picture of the Adamic nature. You got two natures. You got the God nature on the inside, and you got the Adamic nature on the outside. It seems like with every shaking, something comes to the surface <laughs> that you have to deal with. Is that right? An attitude. Maybe I'm the only one. But an attitude, something comes to the surface that you thought you had conquered, and all of a sudden, there it is again. So you have to keep the stones out. Can I have an amen? amen. The word uh, offended in the Greek, is, it means to entrap, to trip up, to entice, to stumble. And then here's an interesting word. It means to apostasy. Apostasy means to walk away and abandon something you once believed in and embraced. I see that. I mean, it breaks my heart when you see people who at one point were on fire for God, but they let offense get into their hearts. Something happened, and all of a sudden, instead of moving closer to God, they're moving away from God. Turn, if you would, to Mark 6. We'll read just one story here, and then we'll, we'll go, go on and, and wind this up. Mark the 6th chapter, verse 1. Mark 6, verse 1. And Jesus went from thence and came into his own country, the Bible says, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. So Jesus was in church, because that's what he believed in, to be in church on, on the Sabbath. Can I have an amen? And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such, what kind of miracles? Mighty, Mighty miracles. So they're admitting the wisdom that's coming out of this man is, I, I've never heard anything like it. And the power that's manifesting is like, I've never seen anything like it. And then he goes on and says, is not, this, um, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Watch this. And they were offended at him. They had all the evidence that he was a man of God. All the evidence that he was anointed of God. And yet they were offended. They were offended. Instead of opening up their hearts to him, they were offended. Why were they offended? Because Jesus was everything that they were supposed to be. See, the closer you walk with God and you stay humble, the more people will be uncomfortable around you because 
You're shining where they're not. And you're shining your light into areas of their lives that they haven't yet dealt with. Amen? Instead of humbling themselves, they stumbled over their own pride. And though God's part was there that day to heal them, set them free, deliver them, often short-circuited the power of God, leaving them untouched and unchanged. Turn, if you would, to Matthew 18. The Bible says Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And unbelief was the fruit of offense. Now, in Matthew 18, there's another story I want to read here. And it, it, it's, it's pretty powerful. And I've shared it often through the years. Verse 7. Matthew 18 says, Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. So, he's talking about offense. Then, to get the full impact of this scripture, you got to go to the first six verses. So I'm going to read those out of the Amplified. At that time, the disciples came up and asked Jesus, who then really is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, the disciples, bless their hearts, they were just like us. You know, when you're around someone that's succeeding, and somehow you think you have something to do with it, you get pretty self-confident and prideful. And they're trying to measure up and see who's the best of them. <laughs> I'm probably better than most of you. Is that sick or what? <laughs> That's exactly what they were doing. Measuring who's the greatest. Let's go on. And he called a little child to himself and put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say unto you, unless you repent, change, turn about, and become like little children. Taught this many times. Four divine virtues. And every child, no matter what religion, no matter what culture, these four divine virtues are birthed within every child. They're in the DNA of every child. Trusting, lowly, loving, and forgiving. He goes, unless you become trusting, lowly, loving, and forgiving, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven at all. Now, whoever will humble himself, therefore, and become like this little child, trusting, lowly, loving, and forgiving, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives, accepts, and welcomes one of these little ch children like this, like what? Ch trusting, lowly, loving, and forgiving. That's what he's saying there, okay? And uh, for my sake, and, and my name receives and accepts and welcomes me. But whoever causes, the King James says offends, whoever offends one of these little ones who believe and acknowledge and cleave to me to stumble in sin, that is, who entices that little one or hinders him in right conduct or thought, it would be better, more expedient, and profitable or advantageous for him to be to have a great millstone. The millstones, we've seen them over there in Israel. They weigh about 1,000 pounds, and, and they crushed wheat. Uh, they'd, uh, they'd turn them with a, with a, with a big log in, in, around in a circle, and they would crush wheat. He said it would be better that a millstone be hung around his neck and him sunk in the depths of the sea. What is Jesus saying? Whatever you bring into your Christian culture... From your heathen culture, man, he says, get it rooted out so that you don't hand it over to the next generation. That's what he's saying there. Envy, jealousy, strife, backbiting, pride, unforgiveness are the little stones that collect within the rich soil of a Christian's heart, keeping God's word from taking root and his nature from being harvested. Verse 7, woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life maimed 
lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. We're not getting the sword out today, so relax. <laughs> he goes, it is, he says, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you, for you to enter life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into the fire. And so Jesus says, I mean, this sounds in the natural so extreme. If you were to read this and you were to consider this to be something of natural um, uh, you know, meaning, I mean, that'd be crazy. That'd be insane. Did you know today in the Muslim countries, if you steal, they cut your finger off. If you steal again, they cut your hand off. They, they interpreted the scriptures wrong. And so we'll interpret here. Right. When Jesus was referencing the two hands and the two feet and the two eyes, he was referencing the children in, in verse 2. Your children are observing you on a daily basis. And what you get offended over, what you hold on to, what entraps you in your life, they're seeing it. What you run to, or actually when you run back to, people are always running back to something that happened before and picking it up and carrying it. He's saying anything that you, you your hands, your feet, your eyes, guess what? Those little ones are focused on that, and they're going to become what you are. And the Lord said it'd be better if you had a millstone hung around your neck and you were separated from that situation that you'd lead one of those precious little ones to stop believing in me. That's how serious this stuff is. Let me say it again. For someone to live... I went so desperately. I've never... I haven't... You know, I... I don't do a lot of things right. But I'm so grateful that all of our kids are serving God today. And, and I mean, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I give God all the glory. But there had to be some disciplines in our lives. There had to be some things that we had to try to correct to get them going in the right direction. Can I have an amen? I say, can I have an amen? amen. And so, I, I, I've been through a lot of warfare in my life. But I'm telling you, if I, when I die and lay my head down and my kids around me, I'm going to be so grateful that they all love the Lord and they serve the Lord. Because I maybe did a lot of things wrong, but if, they, if, that, if, that's, if they, they stuck to it, praise God, I have um, I accomplished um, what God wanted me to accomplish. Can I have an amen? We'll finish this here. Mark uh, 4, verse 16. This is the Message Bible. Some are like the seed that lands in the gravel. Oh, for, let me go back to this. So, when it comes to your hands, whatever you're reaching for, let it go. When it comes to your eyes, whatever you're always focused on in the negative, let it go. If you're always running back to something that trips you up, don't go that way. In other words, cut those things off from your life. He's not talking about dismembering your body. Because everything you focus on, everything you reach out for, everything you walk towards begins right here on the inside. Can I have an amen? amen? So you can cut both your hands off. But if you don't deal with what's on the inside, it'd be no, no magnet if you got any hands. Can I have an amen? amen? That's what he's saying there. Cut those things out of your life. Cut those things out of your life. I said, cut those things out of your life. I've got these little grandchildren, and 
God, I love all my kids so much, my grandkids. I'm telling you, the older I get, the more I love them and proud of them. And um, I just, I want so much to hopefully be a grandpa that gives them the guidance that they need in their lives. I mean, their parents are doing that, but I mean, I also want to be, my grandpa didn't do that to me, by the way, you know that. But I, I want to be that to them. Uh, I, I just, um, I can't imagine what would have happened, what kind of life I could have had if I wouldn't have had a grandfather that was a pedophile. I, would, I mean, it would have been, I think it would have been so much better. So much better. But that's history. I'm just simply saying, you make the right choices. Uh, here's another thing, guys. Uh, I, I've brought this up before, but I don't know. If, see, I'm probably, maybe I'm gullible. But they say there's, um, pornography is a, there's a high percentage of men that are into pornography today. And, um, and, and it's so sad because it's insatiable. You can never be satisfied with that junk that's on the computer. So I told you this many, many years ago. I didn't want to get a computer. Why? Because I had a problem with, with sexual dysfunction and because of, 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 of the upbringing. And so one day I called my son. I said, Andy. So I got a computer. I was all excited about it because I knew nothing about a computer. I mean, I, I, nothing. I didn't know anything about a computer. So I'm, you know, I'm just studying it and doing my cross-referencing for the uh, Greek and the Hebrew and stuff. And all of a sudden a naked lady popped up. Now I have no idea where she came from. I didn't know her name. Didn't have her phone number. So I called Andy. And I said, son, a naked lady popped up on my computer. And he starts laughing. He thinks it's really funny, you know. And so he, I said, you got to get something for me. So he, he got a filter system uh, of some sort on my computer so that, I mean, I can't even look up a 57 Chevy because it might be a woman on there, so it won't let me in there. It won't be in there. It won't let me in to look at a Camaro. <laughs> but anyway, I'm so grateful that I have some boundaries in my life uh, 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 just because of the fact it helps me. Uh, uh, every one of us are tempted through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But there's nothing more tormenting than being bound by uh, that pornography stuff because it, there isn't because it doesn't satisfy. It just gets worse and worse and worse in your life. But guess what? That spirit then goes from you and has a legal right unto your children. That's how serious it is. That's how serious it is. And these precious children that I love so much, I want to do everything I can to protect them. I can't imagine I can't imagine Why an old guy like me would want to go down that road and have an open door to my children or my grandchildren? It's just, it's just insane. So for somebody to live, somebody has to die. I'm just saying. So if any of you guys have a problem with that, because it's, it's a plague. I mean, it's, it's a plague. I mean, the kids, I mean, the phone, I mean, everything. It's just out there. So if you've got a problem, man... Uh, uh, you um, get, get before God. He'll set you free. I said, he'll set you free. He really will. Some are like the seed that lands in the gravel. When they first hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm. But there's such shallow soul, uh, uh, soil of character that when the 
when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there's nothing to show for it. Jesus almost lost all of his disciples, except for 11. He lost them all. Because he preached a message about eating his, blood, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And of course, and the Bible says, they got offended at him. But of course, he went on, and he, understood, he knew. So he goes on, and this was in John 6, 63. He goes, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Yet for those who took offense, it didn't make no difference. They didn't even hear that. And then he goes on and says this. First of all, he says, those who took offense didn't make any difference. Listen to this. The one who loved them unconditionally, healed them and delivered them, who changed their lives to the better and provided their families as they assisted him in ministry, they were offended. Here's what John 6, 6, 6 says. I always think it's 6, 6, 6. Here's what John 6, verse 66 says. They went back and followed him no more. Watch this, amplified. Many of his disciples drew back. Listen, return to their old associations. The Message Bible, they no longer wanted to be associated with him. And yet, the whole time he was speaking truth. But they couldn't get it. It's like cutting off the hand and the arm. I mean, you know, you got you to interpret the word of God right if you're going to live it and, 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 uh, and enjoy the blessings from it. So they all forsook him, all because of offense. Now, the word of offense, so the word offense is the word scandalon. The word scandalon is literally, many of you know this already, but it's literally something called a bait trap. And a bait trap is what the African tribes used in the, in the, in the forest, uh, in the um, jungle, to catch monkeys. And what they do is have a small, they'd have a small little box, a wire box like this, it was made out of mesh, and they had a small hole in that wire, uh, a small hole, just enough for that little dude to get his hand in there. And that monkey would, and they'd had that stake down. Uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't pull it, pull it away. And so the monkey, and they'd put a banana in there. So the monkey would come up and put his hand in, that, in there to grab that banana. And when he grabbed it, his fist tightened and he couldn't get his hand out. But he was so doggone stubborn, he was so stubborn that he would not let his hand go that all the tribe member had to do is walk up and smash him in the head and have monkey soup. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? A bait trap. That's exactly what happens to us when we don't let go of stuff. That's exactly what happens. We become the monkey. And we're going to hold on to that thing. We're going to hold on and hold on to it. We're not going to let it go. And I hope they get what they're coming to. And we ain't going to let that go. Not realizing that the devil is coming to bash your head in. Because you won't let go. Mark 11 ties into it. We got to close. Whenever you stand praying, Jesus said, if you have anything against anyone, for, any, against anyone, forgive him and let it drop. Leave it and let it go. Let it drop. Let it go. Let it drop. Let it go. In order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you of your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. And that's something well, I go to God often. I mean, if not daily, almost daily. Having to repent for something. And, and, and wanting, his, wanting his mercy, wanting his love, uh, wanting his blessing on my life. And I'm so glad that he doesn't bring up all the stuff that I did this past week. Can I have an amen? He, he lets it go. He lets it go. But we're to be like him. Now, that's Mark eleven twenty five. 
Let me read Mark 11, 24, 23, and 22. I'm going to read them backwards. So, in Mark 11, he says, Thank you, Lord. Uh, and when you stand, verse 25, it says, When you stand praying, forgive you if you have a lot against any, that your Father, also which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. No, I didn't. I'll read this verse to you. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you your trespasses. My goodness, if that happens, you're in trouble. Look at verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And Jesus answered and said unto them, have faith in God. <laughs> you can read it backwards and you get the same blessing. But it all starts with let it go and let it drop. Amen. I said amen. amen. For our faith to reach its full potential, offense will have to be confronted in our lives and conquered. I want the musicians to come up here. And as they come up here, I want to just read one verse here of some of the little stones that get in our hearts that cause or that hinder the, the word of God from taking root. I, these are important. And Ephesians 4, verse 29. Don't use foul. Now remember, he's writing to Remember, he's writing to born-again, spirit-filled Christians. So, amen? So now this verse is not for the self-righteous. But this verse is for those who accept the fact that we all are challenged with these areas. Look at, look at verse. Don't use 29. Verse, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Isn't that what, don't you want that in your life? Your words to be an encouragement to everyone that hears them? He goes on and says this, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing you that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of. If you got to get rid of something, that means you have it before you got to get rid of it. You already have it. So he's dealing with these behaviors. If it wouldn't have been for these letters from Paul, we wouldn't know how to act as Christians. We... I mean, these are the most important letters for your life as a believer to understand the behavior you're supposed to exemplify as a believer. He says, he says um, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of uh, evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, chapter 5, remember, there's no chapters when this was written. It goes right into the next verse in the Message Bible. I love what it says. Watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.